The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Our theme is belong. Belong. And we're going to talk today about what does that look like? How is it that we belong? And how do we know when we belong to a people? And how should we treat one another? And our substance and subject is going to come from Ephesians 4. So I invite you to stand as Joseph reads to us the word of God, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardened hearts, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way that you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, as we take up your holy word now, instruct our hearts and our minds. Lead us to right action. Lead us to repentance where necessary. Lead us to obedience by transformation of our minds and hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Be seated. Everybody wants to belong. So I thought about this this week. How do I know when I belong? The answer is, or one answer is how you treat me. So however you're treating me, the context of our social relationship tells me whether or not I belong to you. Now here's where Ephesians starts to come together. We might say it this way. How do you know you're in instead of how you belong? Well, here's how you know in the church. If you are in Christ, 
than you are in. You are in his body. So it's not about me trying to size you up to see if I like you or whether we can be best friends. It's not really about that. It's about in Christ, we are his. We belong to him and as a result, we belong to each other. And this radically affects how we treat each other. So here's the main idea of this text. Living in community requires Christ-like treatment of one another. In verse 1 of chapter 4, let's go back there. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. This is plural. He's calling the church to live in a manner worthy of the calling Christ has called us to himself in the church. We're to do this with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. This is done in the context of relationships with each other. Now he expands on this in verse 17. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You must no longer live in a manner of unbelievers. That's what Gentiles mean. So here's the first thing I want us to see today. That living in community requires understanding who we are in Christ. Now these are things that if you've been around the church very long, if you've read your Bible, if you've been taught, these are base foundational things that you know. For some of you, this is new today. I pray that it is good news and received as such. There are multiple reminders in Ephesians and in the New Testament of who we were. Verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. In 2013, I preached through Ephesians and I preached a sermon just on these three verses. We've reposted it to the website. It, 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 it's... I'm not saying the sermon was good, but it's worthy of you going back and listening to. And it's just interesting to me just how far we've progressed even since I preached that sermon in 2013 as a society. You're, you're seeing these verses play out in the world you live in. Let me just simply summarize it. It begins in the futility of mind. Futile mind. So how do we get to a futile mind? Here's, here's how we get there. There's no truth. There's no right or wrong. So you define your truth, I define my truth. Now, I'm gonna go to the end of the verse. Here's how you define your truth. What makes you happy? So you do what makes you happy. I'm gonna do what makes me happy. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. If we all keep doing that, we're gonna get in conflict with each other because what makes me happy and what makes you happy is gonna run head on to each other. So what people begin to do in a society is destroy one another. Or to marginalize a portion of the society out and away from us so we don't have to deal with them. You're watching the society spiral. Sexuality is defining most everything. So yet again, this week, we see the fruit of how sexuality is defining everything. To what, what really, 
what really is driving behind, and you can, we can smoke screen all day long, but the whole abortion movement is really birthed out of a promiscuity movement. People just do whatever they want to do. In these last few weeks, the House of Representatives in New York stood and applauded a law that basically allows infanticide. The killing of a full-term baby. That's what it looks like when we spiral from a futile mind, giving ourselves to sensuality with callous and hard hearts that results in greedy practice of impurity. Now look in chapter two, verse one. Lest we start to think better of ourselves. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We ought to remember that we were at one time separated from Christ and dead in our sin and futile in our own minds. But if you're a Christian, that's not now who you are. So who are we? Verse 20. But that is the, not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt with deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So he's saying, unlike how the world lives, that's not, that's not how we learned Christ. Now, Christianity is trying to be redefined in the culture you live in. But when we come back to the word of God and we find the truth of the Christian life, we see the, the gospel. It is the gospel that of, of salvation that we have been redeemed through Christ, through his finished work on the cross and through the power of the resurrection. That if we have heard this gospel and we have believed and trusted in his gospel, something radical has happened to us. Then he says, and we're taught in him. That is, once we have believed and trusted in Christ and been redeemed, we continue to be taught in him as his word instructs us to become more like him. There's a lot going on in this text. And I don't have time to fully explain it today because we want to get to these commands here in a moment. But I want to say this to you. When it says to put off and to put on. You see it, verse 23, put off and put on. Those are not commands. They're infinitives, and I want to explain that. It's describing something about you. So here's, I want, I want to go to 2 Corinthians. Turn to, your, turn to the left. I want to go to 2 Corinthians, and I want you to see these two base truths that Paul is appealing to through the Holy Spirit that we see. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now think about heard about him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So your old life is gone. And by a work of God, we have become a new creation, a new person. And that is in Christ. Then he says, as you were taught in him and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now turn to chapter three of 2 Corinthians. And we all, this is all believers, all Christians, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That is, as our minds are being renewed, this is a passive verb, this means it's something happening to us. As our minds are being renewed in the spirit of our minds, a work of the Spirit of God, we are becoming more like Christ. So Brad Howe said it this way, we define ourselves as Christians the same way God defines us. He defines us by what Christ has done on the cross. So when we understand who we were and who we are, then we can move to what we do. Now, I don't know about your experience, but when I first started getting around Christians, at least this was the message I was hearing, and I think a lot of people were hearing, if you came to church, you had to do some things first before you could become a Christian. That's not Christianity. You must first believe the gospel. You must trust in Christ alone for your salvation. You don't bring anything to the table, and we don't subtly want to teach people that. So that's not what he's teaching here. That's not what I'm teaching. So I'm going to quote from Brad House. This is book, Community. I really recommend this to you. It's, it's, it's really shaped this whole series as how we have taught and brought it to bear on the growth groups. Here's what he says. Our identity is not what we do. What we do comes from our identity. Our worship, community, and mission come out of the fact that we are disciples of Jesus. If we have been transformed by the gospel, then it shows up in the life of our community. It shows up in the life of the church. And let me press it down in our level. It shows up in the growth group. It's evident. This brings me to the second point. This is where we'll spend most of our time. That living in community requires Christ-like treatment of one another. Now, Tony Morita had a great illustration yesterday. Y'all can help me out. If I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of modify it a little bit. Remember the illustration about getting his kids together on Saturday morning and assigning them chores? Let me share it with the adults. So Tony said, I get my kids together on Saturday morning, I assign chores. You know, you're going to mow the grass, you're going to do the laundry, you're going to clean the kitchen, et cetera, et cetera. He leaves, comes back four hours later, nothing's done. So he calls his kids together and says, what happened? Oh, Father, we were so impressed with your teaching this morning that we decided that what is best thing for us to do is to spend the afternoon praying about what you said. We've even decided, Father, that we're going to form a small group and study it further. And you need to know this. I don't remember the kid's name. Susie's discovered the Greek word for laundry, and it's had a deep impact on us. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, what I'm about to share with you is clear Bible. We don't need to have 10 more Bible studies about it. Here's what we need. We need to do it. And we need a place to do it. So the context for this verse, everybody get this. The context for what we are to do is to be done in the life of the church. Now, lest you write me letters, because we've got some keen minds here at Parkwood who love to argue. I'm not saying that the only place we act like Christians is at church. It's not what I'm saying, and that's not what the Bible's saying. But the Bible is clearly saying here in Ephesians chapter 4 
that when we are together in the church, we better act like Christians. We better distinctly treat each other in a certain way. So all of these commands that are coming have to do with our personal relationships within the body of Christ. Now here's how they're presented. There's first a negative, don't do this. Followed by a positive, do this. And then if you're not careful, you miss the motivation. Each one has a motivation, a why. Why do you not do this and why do you do this? The purpose is given to you. So let's start with the first one, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So here's the don't do. Don't lie. Don't be false with each other. You're no longer liars, so don't be lying to one another. Now, I've tried to ponder this. What does he mean here? Just, just mean the simplicity of making up falsehoods with each other? I think he means that. And then I started thinking about our context and, and the world that we live in and the way people do church now. How you doing? Fine. We hear this all the time, what I'm going to say next. You know, our growth group, we're just not getting anywhere. You know why? Because everybody's hiding behind this veneer that I'm okay. Everything's good. And we're pretending like you're okay. We're just not honest with each other. So you put away falsehood. What do you do? Let each one of you speak the truth and look at the preposition, with his neighbor. Not to his neighbor, with his neighbor. You say, neighbor, this time about somebody lives next door to me. No, don't miss the end of the, the verse. For we are members of one another. Now here's the motivation. This is where Ephesians unlocked in my understanding was this phrase right here. For we are members of one another. What's he saying? We are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we don't lie to each other. What we do is we truth each other. We're we're honest with each other. We, We speak what conforms with reality. That's what truth means. We we share with each other what conforms with reality because we are connected to each other. In verse 15, he says, we speak the truth in love so that we are to grow up in every way. So I've really been thinking about this this week and, and praying toward this and praying for you and for us as a church. Our, our pretending about who we are is keeping us from growth. And if we're not, if we're not giving one another the opportunity to truth each other, to speak the truth in love to one another, we're keeping the body from growing. Next one. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This is a quotation from Psalm 4.4. Be angry and do not sin. So this command is is not a command to be angry. It's a command not to sin when you're angry. Now, so what it's doing is it permits anger, but it restricts it at the same time. 
So what's the assumption? This is important. The assumption is I'm going to make you mad at some point. Now let's flip it. The assumption is at some point you're going to make me mad. Now some of you need to hear this next sentence. Everything that's wrong in this church is not a means or a reason for you to be angry. Okay? Example. This is a long time ago, back when we used to have two services. It was in between the services. This man was coming at me. I knew he was mad when we got there. And he chews me out for about three to five minutes because we didn't have any toilet paper in the bathroom. Now, I didn't ask him to give me details, but I understand why he was upset. It's a bad thing to get stranded. You know what I'm saying? But he didn't have to treat me the way he treated me. He didn't have to speak to me the way he spoke to me. He didn't have to throw off on my leadership and how sorry the church staff was. And he didn't have to say all those things. He could have just come up and said, hey, you know, it's really embarrassing to me, but there's no toilet paper in the bathroom. Could you take care of that? Sure. Just because you're bothered does not give you a reason to express anger. What we're talking about here is right anger or righteous anger. Let's go back to the abortion law in New York. That ought to give you right anger. That ought to bother you in a right way down deep in your gut. But we're not talking about having right anger with things going on in culture. We're talking about having right angry with each other. So I'm going to use myself. When should you be angry with me? I'm going to give you two reasons that you should be angry with me. When I'm being duplicitous, that I'm living in sin, and you know it, and everybody else around here knows it, and I'm pretending I'm not, that should give you right anger. And you should go back to number one, and you should truth me in love. Number two, if you see me mistreating someone, or if I am mistreating you, that should give you right anger. Now listen, we're all human beings in this room. And sometimes you feel like you're mistreated, but you haven't been mistreated. The person didn't intend that at all. But, but what, you, what you need to do is to make sure you deal with that rightly. That you don't let the sun go down on your anger. So you should have the right anger expressed in the right way at the right time. Otherwise, you give the devil an opportunity. So here's the motivation. We don't want to give the devil an opportunity. Some of the old translations say, you don't want to give the devil a foothold. Now, it's very interesting to me. Paul, Paul only uses the word devil in Ephesians and the pastoral epistles. Everywhere else in his writing, he uses the word Satan. The word Satan literally means enemy. Would you like to guess what devil means? It means slanderer. And don't think for a moment he doesn't choose this word intentionally in this verse. Because here's how it plays out. I do something wrong to you. It bothers you. You sit on it. It boils. It grows. A couple weeks later, you're sitting with somebody else and I come up. And you say, I am angry with him. Well, why? Because 
You know, this is how we are. Why? Why are you mad at him? Tell me. And here's what happens. I know you never do this. That when you tell it, it got bigger than it actually was. And you make me to sound like something I'm really not. That's slander. And the moment you do that, the devil sticks his foot in. This isn't just about you, okay? This is not just about you. This is about the church. That we're giving him a foothold in our lives together. You say, okay, pastor, then what do I do when I have a right anger? First of all, make sure you got right anger. <laughs> I repeat, not everything that bothers you is a reason to be angry. So you got to ask yourself, am I being petty? Am I in my flesh here? You come to the conclusion, okay, this is the right thing to be angry about. Second thing you got to do is say, can I say this the right way? I want to express this the correct way. And then you don't let the sun go down. That means you don't put it off. You deal with it the right way in a right manner. Next, verse 28. Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So this is the eighth commandment, don't steal. So don't steal, what do you do? You labor, you get a job, you work hard. That's the word labor means work hard. Honest work with honest hands. You may or may not have a struggle with stealing. The Bible's clear here, don't steal. But let's put it in the context of labor. A lot of people are stealing from their employers by not doing an honest day's work. We are called to do honest work, to labor. How could you steal in the congregation? You could not work and then demand the church help you financially. Every able-bodied person ought to work. They ought to make an honest labor. Now, why are we working? So we can buy a new car and a bigger house? Look at the verse. What's the motivation? So that we may have something to share with anyone is in need. So who's the person in need? This is a person who finds themselves at, at the, the backside of some form of hardship to where they are not able to earn a living either because of sickness or something that is going on in their life that is blocking them from being able to get what they need. And this is when we as a church step in together and help people. Now, I just want everybody to know here, we, we have benevolence to the church. You can give to that weekly. It's through the James 1, 127. It, it is distributed regularly. But one of the questions we ask first is, is, is a person doing the work they ought to be doing? Is this a legitimate need? And if it is, we seek to be generous and to handle things right and to help people move toward honest labor in their life if possible. Next, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion that may give grace to those who fear. So don't use rotten language. Now this could be foul language here is what he means. He gets into that a little bit more in chapter five. We'll look at that. I think it's just, just worse, worthless talk of saying things to people that are just inappropriate, that just ought not to be said, either off color or hateful. Just saying things you ought not to say. And now why do I say hateful? Because it says, but such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion. 
That's what we do. We use building up timely language with each other. Our motivation is that it gives grace to those who who hear. That means we're giving what people don't earn or deserve. That doesn't mean we're beating people up with the Bible. We're shaming people who are struggling. The context here is that we are living redemptively in the community of faith and that we are seeking redemptive work in one another's life. And we're doing that through what we say to each other. So I found out this week, a guy who'd been a pastor somewhere in nine months, he's leaving. I can only wonder what the backstory to that is. I mean, I'm starting my 27th year and I just want to say this clearly and with, with thanks in my heart. I am grateful to Parkwood. I'm grateful to Parkwood that you have used language that fits the occasion to correct me and to encourage me. When people ask me, how have you stayed in a church for 27 years? You are part of the answer. Who you are. And let me just implore you, that's how you treat each other. Verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Has it ever occurred to you that a church or a growth group could grieve the Holy Spirit of God? This is plural. This is not speaking to the individual, though it applies to the individual. He is speaking to the church. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How is it that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God? In this context, is by acting contrary to the authentication, the seal that has been placed on our life. We grieve the Holy Spirit by practicing the do nots. And we grieve the Holy Spirit by not practicing the do's. When we live in a selfish motivation or we get together with another group of people in the church who share your selfish motivation and that begins to spread. Turn to 1 John 3, man, this is stout. I encourage you, keep your place in 1 John because I'm gonna come back. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So how do you know the children of God? They practice righteousness and they love each other. How do you know the children of the devil? They don't practice righteousness and they don't love each other. So I'm gonna use this illustration loosely. It's a true story. Church called a very prominent person in our convention about looking for a pastor. They described it to this individual. And then at the end of the conversation, they said this. And we're looking for recommendations, but don't you send us the name of a black man. To which this brother who was quite quick on his feet, said, okay, then I suggest the devil is your pastor. Because you're obviously the devil's church. I think you get the point. We, we, we cannot bring the world into who we are and still claim to be the people of God. We are people who practice what is right righteous and and we and we speak the truth and we love our brothers verse 31 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let me just summarize. Would you agree the world's mad? I mean, somebody was telling me that a couple of weeks ago, two dudes, one guy cut another guy off. They got out right out here on Garrison New Hope, got out, beat each other to a pulp, and then acted like nothing happened, got in their car and drove off. That's just becoming normal. Listen, here's what Paul's saying. That's not normal here. That's not how we act. The world might be angry. That's not who we are. We're not a people filled with wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. No, here's who we are. Here's who we're to be. Here's what we are commanded to do. We're to be kind to one another. Just let you spell this in your head or you can write it down. C-H-R-E-S-T-O-S. That's the Greek word for kindness. You got it in your head? Krestos. Sound familiar? So if you're wondering, how do you define kind? Christ. That's how you define it. Christ is the definition of kindness. We're to be Christ to one another. We're to be tenderhearted. That is, we're to be compassionate with each other. We're to put ourselves in one another's shoes. And we're to be forgiving one another. Not forgive one another, forgiving. This is an active, forgiving one another. This is assuming we're going to wrong each other. Doesn't make it right when we wrong each other, but it's assuming that that's going to happen. And we're to be forgiving each other. What's our motivation? Do you see it? Hopefully you're starting to get the formula now. What is the motivation for being kind, being tenderhearted, and forgiving each other? What is it? Christ forgave you. God in Christ forgave you. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he, what? He first loved us. That's our motivation. We love because he first loved us. So let's move to so what? Let's, let's ask the question now. Is our treatment of one another Christ-like? Notice I said our. Is our treatment of one another Christ-like? Now, it's going to get real quiet in here in the next few seconds. Because I'm going I'm to use a very direct illustration and it's going to make some of you uncomfortable. A part of a redemptive community is the practice of church discipline. The purpose of church discipline is restoration. Not harshness. In May of this year, we had to dismiss one of our staff members, Jordan Crawford, for moral failure. It was a very difficult moment when I stood before you and shared that information with you. Jordan has completed a very long and difficult stage, and I use the word on purpose, stage of restoration. This is important that you get this. He was both a staff member and a church member. Now understand what I'm going to say next. He will not be returning to our staff. However, a few weeks ago, he met with our elders. He 
He confessed his sin. He repented of his sin and asked for our forgiveness. And we extended it to this brother and we implored and we welcomed him back into the fellowship. So Jordan will be returning to our church. So what must you do? You must be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. That's what restoration looks like. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. This is agape. This is God's love. <laughs> so so here's, here's what's got to be in my mind. When you love me, you with me? I don't deserve it. You're like, you're doggone right you don't deserve it. But when I love you, you don't deserve it either. Jesus is saying, this is what I expect from my people. And when you love one another, this is how people are gonna know you're my disciples. They're gonna know it because you love one another. Now I want you to look in John 15 with me. John chapter 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Love one another, here's the standard, as I have loved you. And then verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, if you leap right away to applying that to yourself, you're missing the big point. In just a few hours, Jesus was going to live out John 15, 13. Jesus laid down his life for his friends. That's us. We didn't deserve it. Nothing about us caused us to deserve what Christ did. He willingly loved us and laid down his life for us. And he calls us friends. It's very simple. How then can I treat you as an enemy? How can you be a friend of Christ and me be a friend of Christ and we treat each other as enemies? The answer is we can't. Those people have a different daddy. That's what children of the devil look like. But God's children look different. They have a completely different way of living in the world. Because of what Christ has done for them, they love one another. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. 
That's parkwoodonline.org.